Pastor Derek, it's just so great to have you at Connect Community Church. Welcome, uh, family, uh, frequent flyers and first-time guests. So glad you're here. Hopefully you got a chance to just say hello or high-five somebody or we call it the hygiene hello. Just give them a little rock. You don't have to get germs and all that kind of stuff on you. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Anyway, I'm excited to preach to you. You know, the Bible says, if Christ be not raised, the preaching is useless. So everything I'm getting ready to do is helpful because Jesus rose from the grave. Amen? Are you guys excited? Get your, uh, your worship guide out. You can follow along there and kind of take notes, take something home with you and track and trail with what's going on. And then you can also look on YouVersion, which is a Bible app that uh, we highly recommend. It's free. You can just pull it up. There's millions and millions of people who have downloaded this app. And our worship guide is right inside that YouVersion. Just do our zip code or our church name under live event. And then you can just watch that right on your, or, or you know, view that, take notes, email yourself all through your phone or iPad. So it's pretty cool. Amen? Well, listen, um, here's the thing about Easter. I got like little game jitters. You know, this is my third service, but I'm still a little jittery um, because as a preacher, this is like the toughest service of the year because, not because there's a lot of people that show up to church, but because uh, I like that. You know what I'm saying? But it's because everybody knows what's coming. Everybody knows what I'm going to talk about. Everybody knows I'm, I'm going to talk about the res. Okay. But so it's kind of hard to like bring it different and bring it unique. And so I thought I'd open up with a little story. Um, there was a husband, a wife, and a mother-in-law. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a weird combination. And they're going on vacation together to the Holy Land, okay? So I'm going to skip a bunch of the details of the story. Husband, wife, mother-in-law, they go to the Holy Land and something bad happens. And at the end of what I'm going to say, it's not a true story, so don't get all emotional, but you can say, ah, but the mother-in-law dies. She passes away. Good job. Some of you guys missed that. So the mother-in-law passed away, and basically later on, they're meeting with the undertaker, and the undertaker says, hey, listen, this is what I can do for you. I can, um, I can cut you a deal. If you bury her here, it's 150 bucks. But if you send her back to the United States where you're from, it's going to cost you $5,000. What do you want to do? Well, the man of the house, he replies immediately, oh, we are absolutely sending her home. The undertaker's kind of taken back by that. Like, you can save 150 bucks. Why would you want to spend 5000 He said, listen, buddy, 2,000 years ago, a, die, a guy died, and on the third day, he rose again. I can't take that chance with my mother-in-law. <laughs> To all the mother-in-laws, I'm sorry. No offense at all. But listen, I, I want to give you, the reason I did that is because I like to give a little bit of inside track into Connect. So if you're new to Connect, I think when you come to church and then when you leave, it should be what we call life-giving. In other words, it should feel like you received a breath of fresh air. It wasn't like life was taken from you. It was like life was put into you. So when you leave, you should be like, you know, I feel full. I feel happy. I actually believe it's okay to have fun in church. Come on, somebody. You should be able to have a little bit of fun in church. And so I think laughter doeth good, you know. It's like medicine for the soul. And so what if we did a little bit of that this morning? In, in addition to that statement, let me just say this. I think you can tell a lot about church before you even get inside the four walls of the church by what you see on the outside. And I do this, what I'm doing right now, like as a sport. You know what I mean? Like, I love what I'm doing right now. I'm not doing this because I couldn't do something else. 
You know, I'm doing this because I feel called to this. But one of the things I do is I collect stories and I collect illustrations. But one of the things I love to collect is church signs, church signs. And church signs can tell a lot about the culture of a church. In other words, you can see if it's like a life-giving or a life-taking environment. Look at this first church sign. I'm going to give you a few of these and just see what you think. Funny or interesting. Okay, look at this. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. Okay, look, okay look, look, look at this next one. It gets better. This is a e great Easter one. Welcome semi-annual worshipers. <laughs> this is a mad sign guy, okay? He's got some, he needs a small group to work out through some of this stuff, okay? Check out this next one here, all right? Tired of being a loser? Turn to God. <laughs> now, what's interesting about this one is the sign guy is telling everybody else they're a loser. You'll get that later. But anyway, I think that's funny. Okay, look at this next one. Whoever stole our AC unit, keep one. It's hot where you're going. <laughs> this guy, this guy has got some fire going on. All right, look at this one. All right, I like this one. Do you know what hell is? Come here, our preacher. <laughs> then you're going to know what hell really is when he opens his mouth. Okay, here's the next one. This is good, too. Happy Easter to our Christian friends. Happy Passover to our Jewish friends. And to our atheist friends, good luck. <laughs> wow. There's a welcoming environment for people who don't believe what you believe. Okay, next. I like this one, too. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while you're driving if you want to meet him. <laughs> Today. <laughs> all right, and this next one's for all my young peeps out there. Check it out. I was addicted to the hokey pokey, but I turned myself around. No, actually, this is the next one for the young peeps. Look at this next one. This one I love. All right? We're all about that grace, about that grace. No, devil. Come on, high five somebody. Is that funny? Oh, I don't care what you say. That's fun. <laughs> so, so we're in this series, and basically it's called Four Cups. We've been doing it over six weeks, which somehow doesn't make sense at first, but it will in a little bit. We actually already did two weeks, and so I'm doing, as a profession, what you usually don't do. We're putting, like, the Easter service in the middle of a series as opposed to culminating a series or starting a series, but the reason for that will come clear as we go forward. And so the first week of the series, we talked about, really, the promises of God, these four core promises of God, and they're hidden and unpacked in a, in a picture, in a metaphor, in a... Passover experience. Basically, there's these four promises that God gave to his people, Israel, 3,500 years ago that are eternal, unconditional, and didn't just apply to them. They applied to us. And we talked about those promises, and I'm going to come back to that. And then last week, we talked about Passover on Palm Sunday, and we just talked about how those four core promises that God put there for us all those years ago are actually not, we're not able to fulfill or see those things come to fruition in our life without Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of all those promises. And so one day in Luke 22, we see it revealed to us, Jesus is having Passover with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. It's really known to us as Christians as the First Communion. So Passover, Last Supper, First Communion, they're all connected. Everybody get that? Somebody just went, whoa. So he's having the Last Supper. He's having Passover. He's having communion with them. And he's basically 
getting ready to do a twist on them. He's basically saying, all these things you've done all these years, sacrificing lambs and, and, and trying to find the perfect, blemishless, spotless lamb, all that kind of stuff. Hey, all of that, it hasn't worked for you, but it works through me. I am the blemishless, spotless, perfect, last lamb of God. And I'm getting ready to do something. And they didn't know what was going on. They didn't even know what was coming, but he unpacked what was getting ready to happen. And then he said, Sooner or later, you're going to remember this, but whenever you do this Passover, this supper, this Seder supper, this progressive dinner, this communion thing, hey, remember me. Remember me. And then he went on to die for the sins of humanity, and then three days later, he rose again, coming back and overcoming this life so that we could overcome in this life as well. Are you there? And so... Going back, to, we're going to talk about one of those four promises today, and then in the next three weeks, we're going to unpack the other three promises. So there's four core promises. Everybody say promises. So, uh, by the way, the Bible's filled with promises. There's over 6,000 promises in the Bible, but all of those promises, they all come under these four core promises. So if you were to kind of collate them and, and get them all organized, they would all come under these lanes. These, they would all go into these buckets. The first one we're going to talk about today and unpack that. And I encourage you, if you want to continue to see what God has for you on your spiritual journey, come every single week. And on that note, we're all on a spiritual journey. Whether you realize it or not, this temporary, temporal life that we're in, it's just an assignment. It's a temporary assignment. We're actually all eternal beings having a human experience. We're going to be somewhere with someone forever. We have certain choices and opportunities and invitations in this life to make determinations about the next. And we can do certain things now in this life that make a difference in this life that also make a difference in the next. And so we're on a spiritual journey. We actually were all created just like God. We were created according to his word in his image. We are just like he is tripart, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are triune. We are, we are body, mind, and a spirit. And what happens is this spirit part of us has a void in it, a vacuum in it. Actually, Ecclesiastes says that eternity is set in the hearts of humans. In other words, another translation or, or way to describe this is there's kind of a hole in there, and it can only be filled by someone or something that is eternal. And until that happens, there's this cry in our heart. There's this longing. There's these questions. There's these considerations that can only be found in an eternal relationship with someone who started this whole thing in the first place. Can I have an amen? And so we're on this journey. And we're going to be frustrated until we realize what those steps are on this journey. But when we see it, oh my gosh, it's like looking at the dashboard of a car. And, you know, when, when your instrument panel is not working, you're just kind of driving and you don't know, do I have any more gas in my car? Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. You do that all the time. I don't care. It's just, you know, I'm going shopping. But anyway, <laughs> as long as I have money, my husband's credit card. <laughs> you guys, some of you got, black, you got a black belt MasterCard. You know what I'm saying? Zoom, <laughs> But you're, so you're out there, and you're, if your instrument panel is not telling you how much fuel's in the tank or you know, how many miles you've gone, or there's certain things that you need to know to go forward. And, and God has provided that kind of roadmap, that, that process through these four promises. And what happens is most of the time we get in religion, and religion is trying to give us events 
and trying to tell us it's all about meetings. You need to go to church every single day, and you need to do your up-downs and your turnarounds and peace with you and peace also with you and kiss this ring and make sure you read this and recite that. and all. It ain't about that at all, according to God's word. There's a journey there for you, and it's hidden in these promises in the book of Exodus, and they are revealed actually all through the Old Testament, they're in the New Testament, they're in the Gospels, they're in the Great Commission, they're in the book of Acts, and they're eternal, and they're unconditional, and they apply to you and me today. Is anybody interested in, in these promises? Okay, so basically what happened is years ago, God spoke through Moses, and Moses figured out something. He figured out his real identity, his real destiny. First, he had to, re- he had to realize, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew. And, and so he did some stuff that kind of didn't start the ball rolling right and killed an Egyptian, gets exiled. He's out there, you know, in the land of Midian, discouraged and defeated and lost. He got this hunger in his heart. He goes to seek God, goes up to a mountain. God reveals himself through a fiery, burning bush. Come on, somebody. The Bible's exciting. I mean, who needs drugs with stories like this? It's incredible. It's all throughout the Bible. And so God speaks to this burning bush, and he tells Moses some stuff. And Moses, even though he's a stutterer and a murderer, and he's talking back at God, he finally gets convinced, and he goes back, and he realizes that he needs to say something to the people of God. And he needs to speak on behalf of God. And Moses is like Jesus in the sense that he's a type and shadow of what was to come. Whenever you see Israel, whenever you see stories in the Old Testament, whenever you see people like Moses, look at that through the lens of the New Testament. In other words, Jesus and his church are like Moses in Israel. So when you're reading and you're hearing about this story, you can insert yourself in the story realizing that this is something that happened then that actually applies to me now. Everybody up for the snack? Everybody still paying attention? Okay. So Moses goes to his people, and in Exodus 6, this is what he says. Here's the four promises. Here's the spiritual journey that God wants to take us all on. You ready? It says this. God said, Moses said, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. Everybody say, I will bring you out. All right. This is known in the Jewish tradition um, as the cup of sanctification. So basically, they would read this story. This was kind of like their key text, Exodus 6, and se- 6 through 7. They would have a Passover meal together, and they celebrated this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And every time they celebrated this, they would read from this scripture, and they would take a cup of wine, and, they would, and this first cup was known as the cup of sanctification. A modern translation of what that means is, is salvation. So they would say, I will bring you out. And I will set you free. I'll deliver you from the hand of the Egyptians. This was salvation. By the way, salvation isn't referring to kind of get it all worked out, get your act cleaned up, live holy, go to church, do everything perfectly. No, this is about changing not just your, your, your destination, but your destiny. It's about not just changing, um, it's about changing your identity. So, so Moses was trying to get the people of God out of Egypt Change the fact that you don't have to be a slave. You're actually not called to be slaves. God is trying to do that with us and get us out of the world and help us to see that we don't have to be slaves to our sinful nature. Is everybody tracking with me? Sinful nature, wait a second. We're all born sinners. We all have a default, a predisposition towards sin. If any of you have kids, you know that to be true. You didn't have to teach your kid to say no, no and rebel, and mine, and throw a conniption on the couch. 
Did anybody train their kids to do that? No. It was just inherent. It was just like genetic. No, you're like, oh, I just thought that was a demonic manifestation. No, that's their sinful nature. And our sinful nature is stronger than our intelligence. And so something in us needs to be changed. And that's what God was trying to do with Moses to bring Israel out. And that's what he's trying to do with us to get us away from and and delivered from our sinful nature. Okay, here's the next cup or the next step in the process. Then it says, I will free you from being slaves to them. Wait a minute. I thought you just set us free. He set you free in that he changed your destiny. He changed your identity. So you have eternity now in you. Now you have uh, your, your, your identity in Christ. You're in right standing, but you don't have right behavior yet. In other words, you're out of Egypt. Awesome. But now you got to get Egypt out of you. You're out of the world. Awesome. But now you got to get all this worldliness out of you. You, you still have a heart of slavery. I know I'm not a slave, but I keep acting like one. And that's why God sent Moses to his people, got him out, and then gave him laws to help them know how to live because they've been living as slaves for so long. They didn't know how to live right. And so God gave them ways to be able to live right if they would follow those and get them free and help them to work through their issues, bad habits, Bad attitudes, poor spending, bad ways of thinking, anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and relational issues and issues, issues. Everybody's got issues. We say this all the time at Connect. All God's children got issues. If you don't think you got an issue, what do we say? That's your issue. Everybody's got issues. Now, what happens is everybody stays. Most Christians come to this place where they realize, okay, I got this worked out, but I'm still struggling here, and I'm struggling here seemingly forever. I call it like gerbil, you know, Christianity. You know, like the gerbil on the treadmill? We're not going anywhere, but we're doing a lot of work. How you doing? Still working on myself. You getting anywhere? No. You know, and that's what Christians are doing. They're spending all their time fixing themselves. And so most Christians don't get to the next cup. What's the next cup? The next cup is, and I will redeem you. Everybody say redeem. With an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment. Okay, this was known the first, the first cup is the cup of sanctification. The next cup is the cup of deliverance. And this cup is the cup of redemption or restoration, you could say. Redeem means to bring you back to your original intent. It was not God's intent for Israel originally and forever to be slaves. That's not what he wanted. His plan, his perfect plan, was that Israel would be a different people. They would stand out. They would shine like a light in the darkness. They would be, you know, a light on a hill. They would be, the Bible says this in 1 Peter, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people set apart to show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what he wanted to do with Israel. But in order for that to happen, he had to first save them. He had to first get them out of Egypt, then he had to get Egypt out of them, then he could return them to the original plan and purpose of God. The same thing that was going on with Israel, God's trying to see going on in our life. Many of us, we get the fire insurance. We know we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Then we start, then we realize we got these issues, I got these issues, but many of us don't go on to figure out, what did he create me to do? The biggest question in life is, what's my purpose? 
What am I here to do? Am I here to just suck air, take up space, keep abusing God's grace? Or was I created for something more? And the answer is, and the cry I think of everybody's heart, when they do an inventory on themselves, when they get all by themselves alone, is there's got to be more than just going to church and saying, I love God and I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? And Kumbaya and Doritos once in a while by a fire. There's more, more, more. God created you for more. And he wants you to, he wants that blueprint that he put on you in advance before you even came to be, according to Ephesians 2.10. He created you to do something even before you came to be. He wants that to be mined for and surface. And when you step into that, and 87% of American Christians do not know what they were created to do. Why am I here? What is the purpose and plan of God for my life? And so you're not experiencing the more because you haven't figured out what he's created you to do. And that's part of this journey. And that's what these promises were revealing, this cup of redemption. And here's the fourth cup. This is the best one of all, okay? Then it says, he took a fourth cup And this would happen in the Seder Supper, the progressive meal, the Passover. And they would declare this, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And they would drink that fourth cup of wine. How many know by the fourth cup of wine, everybody's having a party? (laughs) You guys are in church. You're like, I don't know if I can smile or laugh or is that okay? So this fourth cup's so cool because the first three cups, sanctification, deliverance, redemption, are all about you. Everybody say me. I want to get you out of Egypt. I want to get Egypt out of you, and I want to redeem you and show you what your purpose is. That's all about you, you, you. But this fourth cup is not about a person. It's about a people. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to show you that the secret sauce of life The real fulfillment, which is basically this modern word of what this promise, what this cup is all about, it's about fulfillment. God wants you to live as a higher order of being. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Science, sociologists have even figured out that the highest level of living is when you're making a difference on the planet. But people who are making a difference on a planet don't do it as a person. They do it as a people. And only 2% of the world are living like that. And this journey can be seen, but many people have to do the first cup first, the second, the third, before they can even get to the fourth. God wants to do something great. He wants your greatest day not to be when you're born, but when you figured out why you were born and then connect you with other people who figured that out to do something amazing on the earth. Can I have an amen out there? That's what he wants to do. And so that's what the four cups are all about. And that's kind of a way to describe this journey that we see as we go forward. And so he wants you to know this. And so what we've done as a church is we've, we've taken these four cups, these four promises, and we've taken all our programming. In other words, everything we do is designed around this journey. And so when you come to connect, you need to know that if anything that I'm saying is resonating with you, pops with you, you know, makes you kind of your heart skip a beat, You need to get involved in a church like this, if not this, and if you want this, we want you. But we're here to help you on that journey. My vision is not to try to get you to help me fulfill my vision. My vision is to try to figure out what God put in you and help you fulfill that. And there are hundreds of people in this church that know that's true. And it's happening by the dozens and dozens. And when you live like that, I'm telling you something, you're really living. I submit to you, you're not really living until you've experienced that, as bold as that may sound. Amen? So let's talk about this first cup real fast. Um, The first cup basically is this, I'll bring you out. And then it says this, from under the yoke. Everybody say yoke. Yoke. So I want to talk to you. If you're in that first 
step in the journey. And many are. Many here are. Many who are listening online are. And so I went back to this original story, and I looked at some things that I saw that Pharaoh did to the people of God that I think the enemy of our souls is doing to the people of God today. And what basically happened back then in this original story with Egypt and Israel is the Pharaoh at this particular time wasn't so kind and and didn't feel so good about the Israelites. In fact, the Israelites were exploding. They were growing like crazy. And so he issued a decree that it's terrible. And it's not just a biblical story. This is historical. He issued a decree that all the newborn boys be killed. In fact, he told the midwives to do it, and they wouldn't do it, and then he told the soldiers to do it, and they did it, and they killed babies, and they threw them in the Nile. It was horrible. And here's what's interesting about that. There's three decrees. The first thing that preceded this horrible conditions is he puts them in slavery. He puts them in slavery. And here's the first decree he issued. He said forced, he forced them to be slaves to make bricks. Everybody say, everybody say make bricks. Now, slavery isn't always connected to a person. Slavery, and I hope you can parallel this with you today, slavery is whenever you're submitted to a dominating influence, a dominating influence. Slavery is, is, is when you're, you're, you're submitted to your bad habits, you're submitted to your loins, you're submitted to whatever it is, poor spending, all kinds of things. And whatever this influence is, this slavery, it's controlling you or telling you how to live your life. I've heard people say things like that to me. You know, I feel stuck. I feel trapped. I know there's more, but I can't get there. I'm on hold. You feel, and this is the fill in the blank, enslaved. You feel enslaved. John chapter 8 verse 34 says, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin, this key word is coming up, is trapped, trapped in a dead-end life and is in fact a slave. A slave is a transient, he who wants to go places, basically, who can't come and go at his will. In other words, he's stuck. This dominating influence, this slavery is controlling you. These Israelites wanted to break free, but they couldn't break free. And if you feel like that in any way, shape, or form in your life, you're a candidate for the first cup. You're a candidate for the cup of sanctification or salvation. And you might have thought about this, but you thought it was go to church or do some up-down turnarounds or you have to, whatever it is, but this is what it is. It's getting out of slavery. Here's the second decree, and, and, and look at what happened here. It's the murder of babies. Now, I'll make sense out of this so it's not so gory in a second, but, but Pharaoh, again, he murdered these baby boys. This really happened. And what, in essence, he was trying to do and it's, is he was trying to, to destroy the potential that was in people. God's plans are to, be, are to be fulfilled through his people. Did you hear what I said? God's plans are to be fulfilled through his people. And when his people accept his plans, you will find fulfillment. In other words, I don't want to surrender my life to God, Jesus, because I know you're going to send me to Africa, and I'm going to live in a mud hut, and I'm going to have to eat mud cakes, and I'm going to be eaten by mosquitoes the rest of my life. That's what people think. If I surrender to God, it's going to be horrible. No, true. He knows what you need more than you think he knows what you need. And it's better than what you could get on your own if you would surrender and submit to his plan. He wants to do great things through you, but he's trying to stifle, the enemy is trying to stifle the potential. And I submit to you that for generations, the enemy has been trying to kill babies and kill people's potential. I'm not trying to make a political statement, but I am trying to say that it's about potential. And how does that relate to you? Or how does that relate to me? I can tell you how it relates to me. Out of all the decrees that Pharaoh put then that could apply to me, this one applied to me probably the most because I knew 
at an early age that God, I knew back then that God had potential, something he wanted to do through me. Does anybody re- re- resonate with what I'm saying? And, but I was, in, I was in bondage. I was in slavery. I was totally insecure. I was afraid. Uh, believe it or not, I was afraid of what people thought of me. I was afraid of talking in front of people. I was afraid of singing in front of people. That's who I was before I experienced this first cup. But when I experienced it, my, my, I'm a different person because of that. My whole life has changed since I've experienced that. But when you don't have that, here's the fill in the blank. You feel empty. You feel like almost like you're slowly dying inside because you know there's more, but you're not experiencing more. You know God's called you for more, and you're not reaching your potential. Here's the third decree. He, Pharaoh, and the same spirit that was on Pharaoh, I submit to you, is on us today, requiring them to collect their own straw. Everybody say straw. In other words, they were working from sunup to sundown already, but now the Pharaoh, in order to, to destroy them, was going to make them work even harder with less. And so instead of the straw being right by the mud pits to help make the bricks that, by the way, created some of the seven wonders of the world, now he's saying, nope, you got to go get your own straw. you got to bring it all the way over here. In order to do that, you're going to have to get up earlier, and you're going to have to work longer. Why? Because he wanted to wear the people of God out. And I am telling you something as pastor of this church and to what extent I have influence on your life. That's exactly what the enemy is trying to do in your life today. He's trying to wear you out. And you know why he's trying to wear you out? Because if you're tired, you make poor decisions. Can I have an amen out there? When you're tired and exhausted, you make some really, really dumb decisions. And people sometimes think wrong about burnout. They think burnout comes from doing too much. Listen to me. Burnout comes from doing too much that doesn't matter. That's some really good preaching. I just, I just want you to know that. That was really good. I thought, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so it, it, here's, here's how I know that burnout is actually a spiritual condition, not a time or vacation condition. You, you can go on vacation, come off vacation, and you're still exhausted. You're still tired. You can take a nap, wake up, and then you're still, Ugh. You know what I mean? Like you're back in the dump truck up a beep, beep. You know what I mean? It's still filled. You know what I'm saying? Because rest is not inactivity or no activity. Rest is a condition of your soul. And God wants to wire you right spiritually so that you function better mentally and physically. So if you feel enslaved, if you feel empty, if you feel exhausted, you're a candidate for this first promise. Amen? So what does it have to do with Easter? Let me show you this in the New Testament. Look at John 10.10 in your notes. This is what it says. The thief comes, and this is my paraphrase, to mess you up in three ways, okay? The three ways are to steal, kill, destroy. Basically, what is this? This is the same spirit that was on Pharaoh. Whether you believe it or not, that's okay. That same spirit is on, is on the world today. Small g, God of this world, the enemy, is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. He's trying to do these things in your life as well. And as a result, you won't live what God wants you to live. So what did he do? Back then he sent Moses. Today he sends Jesus. And Jesus came that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. He came that you might have this worked out and that you have fulfillment in this life too, doing something that matters. Amen. Romans 8.11 says, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. What did he do in Jesus? Jesus was dead. Can you imagine 
the power, the virtue, the energy that it took to raise Jesus from the dead when he was dead. The Bible is saying that same power that raised Jesus from, the word's saying this, I'm not saying this, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's available to you if you apprehend this promise. When you felt dead, empty, exhausted, not reaching your potential, all those things, God said, I want to bring life back into you. That same power that was there is there for you now. And you're not supposed to, in other words, just celebrate Easter. You're supposed to experience Easter. Come on, somebody. I worked on that line all week long. (laughs) Why? Because his spirit is living in you according to this word. Your body will be as alive as Christ. Look at 1 Peter 1. It says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given what? A brand new life. Because he came alive, you can, there's an old song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds my future. And life is worth the living just because he lived. Amen? So that's the offer to you. God says, I want to bring that. And I'm kind of dangling that out in front of you. That's what he's doing with these promises. You can have this life, but it starts with this first cup, this first promise, this first invitation. And he's not asking you to join a church, sign a roster or something like that, or give something or do some religious behaviors. There's no strings attached. There's no performance reviews with this. He's the only one who had the perfect performance. And so why not accept that offer? I can't imagine enjoying slavery. I can't imagine enjoying exhaustion, loss of potential, or emptiness. So what do you do? Well, first you got to ask, how did I get here (laughs) in the first place? And I think there's disappointment associated with the idea that I could be a slave to myself, a slave to sin, a slave to my sinful nature. And so I don't want to admit, and you know what? Pride can keep us from being free. You know, pride precedeth a fall. You know, uh, if, 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 if pride keeps us from God's grace, grace, he provides grace for the humble, you know? And so I think admitting we have a problem, especially in New England, self-reliant, intellectual, I got it, self-sufficient, independent stuff, it's, it's a problem. And sometimes it's embarrassing or shameful to admit it. And so to ease the pain and maybe offset the pride, we all were there. Some of you are there, but all of us were there at one time. And we ended up there basically because we never made that connection right in the first place. Or we drifted from it. It's like driftwood. You know, we didn't realize it was happening. We may have had opportunities, and, but, but over time, we found ourselves a thousand miles away from the destination or destiny that God had for us. Or maybe someone or something let us down. And, and it's usually religion. It's usually religious people. It's usually religious methods, not messages, that keeps us from God. And we just like, here's the Heisman, Jesus. I'm not interested. When really it was religion not relationship with Jesus that was keeping us away from him. And so I've met people who finally, through a set of circumstances, or maybe ordained and orchestrated by somebody else, the maestro of the Holy Spirit, moved people to a place where they were ready to receive God. I know one guy was in the last service. I knew him for many, many years, and he was just far, far, far away from God. And just Monday night, he was just crying with me in our small group, just telling me, you know, how changed his life is. And it was on an Easter Sunday years ago where a situation just like this, seemingly orchestrated just for him, that he surrendered to that first cup. He accepted that invitation. He got past his pride and got past his shame and realized that everything that was saying, I couldn't understand it all, but a lot of what it was saying was true and applied to him. And he gave his life to Christ, and he's never been the same since. But maybe you're here and you're enslaved, and you know why. It's a combination of compounded bad decisions. It wasn't just one. It was many. And over time, 
You're far away from God, and all of a sudden you're living a life that you never wanted to live. So how do we get out? You know, what's, what, what do I do? And, and, and this, is where, this is where religion messes it up all the time, too. We don't understand really what salvation is, and so we really never get it right in the first place, and we never really get the, it's like, it's like the pilot light in an oven never gets really turned on. Your spirit's like that. Your mind and your body are alert, but your spirit currently, without this first cup, it's dormant. It's dormant. And so the thing that turns that on is a relationship with Jesus. But how do we get that? Where do we, what do we do? Here's what the scripture says clearly. Put this in your notes. You got to make the move. You got to make the move. And there are these physical and internal steps. And the first step is you repent. It's a big word. It's a hard word if you don't understand it right. But repent basically means, the Greek for that word is metanoia, for those of you who want to you know, sound really smart. But it basically means to change direction. It's not do a 360, which most people in Christian churches do. They go to church, they say a prayer, kumbaya, go out and do the same thing they did before 360. Nope. Repent means I commit a decision of my will, free will. The most powerful spiritual muscle that I have in my body is choice. And God will never take that away from you. Choose this day whom you will serve, it says in Joshua 24. Why are you going to wrestle between two opinions, any Lord? Are you going to follow the devil? Are you going to follow God? It says in the book of 1 Kings 18, Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, you know, go and sin no more. Choose. He always gives you choice. You have to decide if you're going to follow him or not. And that requires a repentance. And repentance is saying, I'm not going to live that life anymore. I want to leave Egypt. The second thing we do is we have to let it go. Now, I know everybody's thinking it, so let's just sing the song, let it go, let it go. I almost changed my notes just because of that. <sighs> Stupid movie. But uh, I'm just kidding. It's awesome. Uh, I watched it like seven times. Um, but this basically means you have to surrender, okay? So in other words, to have God's best, sometimes you have to let go of something else. We think it's great. In other words, God has something so incredible for you. He, wants to, he doesn't want to send you to Africa and live in a mud hut. If he did, it did that to you, you, you're perfect for it. You'd love it. Some people love things I hate. I don't know. It's just the way you're wired, the way you're made. Okay, but I'm just telling you, whatever he has for you is true and lasting fulfillment. But we, in order to have God's best, we have to let go of something. We think it's so great, but it's really not so great. Listen, listen, Egypt is not that good. Everybody working for the weekend to play on the weekend, it's, it's not that good. God has something better for you. I've done both things. I have the opportunity to contrast an old life and a new life. Let me tell you something, and I say this with total honesty and sincerity, this life is way better than my former life. Way better than my former life. Way better. But you got to let it go. You got to let it go. Mark 8, 34 says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. In other words, don't just see me as Savior, see me as Lord. You're not in the driver's seat. I am, it says. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is not help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to saving yourself. Number three, commit your life. You have to commit your life. This is about relationship, relationship. Here's where you change allegiance. 
So the first step is repent. I changed my mind. The second step is, is it's, a, it's a, a whole condition really um, uh, of surrender, of letting go. And this third one's a change of your heart where you're saying, all right, I'm no longer going to set my affection on the world. I'm going to set my affection completely on the things above. My priorities are going to change. Romans 6.19 says, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. In other words, that's where the world's going. It's devoted to that. More and more crazy, nuts, chaos, it all, it's, it's couched in pleasure and power and, and possessions, but underneath it all is just debauchery and it doesn't work. Everybody's doing that. So now, instead, commit, offer yourselves as a slave to righteousness, leading to holiness. This whole thing was about being a slave, not by choice, but in the end, it's about being a slave by choice. See... Slavery is submitting yourself to a dominating influence, but ultimately this is what I did. And maybe you need to do that. I submitted myself, I became a slave for Christ as the only singular dominating influence in my life. That was my goal when I made a decision to receive salvation. I didn't want to be submitted to all kinds of influences. I wanted to be submitted to one influence, and that's Jesus. So all my life, priorities have been reordered by that decision, and that decision started a journey that has changed my life and changed many people's lives and changed your life as well. And this is what salvation is. It's a, in a word, it's about relationship. So I want to pray for you. I want to give you that opportunity to connect. Would you just put your stuff away and quietly put it away, and then would you just stand to your feet did you guys get something out of this? Anybody? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank God. Just everybody just be still for a second and, and just honor the person to your right or to your left. This is just where I would like you to imagine it's just you and God and just my voice and that's all that's there. Just have a moment. Just have a moment. I'm not going to call anybody out of their seat. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to do any of that kind of stuff. This is a hassle-free environment, okay? Just close your eyes so that people next to you can feel, you know, singular in their focus, all right? But you may be here. You may be listening online. You may feel a thousand miles away from what it means to have a relationship like that guy's talking about right there. But God wants to come very close to you. In fact, God will take, he'll go to great lengths. He'll take every step to meet you except the last one. Except the last one. That's our step. We can't span the gap between our sin, our past, our perceptions, our notions, and relationship with God, we have to take that final step by acknowledging we need a Savior. How do you do it? You make a move. You say, I'm sorry. You repent of your old life, your, your ways. You turn and you change your direction. You let go of your old life and you decide, I'm not going back that way. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put you not in the rear view mirror anymore. I'm going to put you in the front seat, the driver's seat, the wheel of my life. And then you commit your life. Relationship, not church, doing time but just relationship with God. You set your affection, your heart. Everything else will get all worked out when his agenda becomes your agenda, when his heart is your heart. And that can start right now. It's kind of like, like a baseball game where you needed a pinch hitter real bad. You couldn't hit it out of the park, but it needed to happen in order to win. And Jesus stood at the plate for you. It was a full count. There was two outs, and he hit a home run. And everybody's cheering, and, and, it's, and it's done, except for one last thing. You have to run the bases. 
You don't have to run them to prove anything. You don't have to run to first in fear of getting out. You don't have to run to second and punch somebody out. You don't have to slide into third, and you don't have to go face first in the home. You just have to touch the bases. And the way that you touch the bases, sir, ma'am, boy, or girl, is you just say yes to God. And you say yes to God, and you can do that today and invite Jesus into your life by saying yes, by raising your hand right where you are and just say, Jesus, I want you in my life today. I don't want to do another Easter without Jesus Christ at the center of my life. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to repent. I'm going to commit my life. I'm going to surrender. That's me. All over the room. Good night. Good night. God bless you. God bless you. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. That's so awesome. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Now, here's what I'm going to do. You can put your hands down. I'm so, so grateful that you were here today. You're starting the most important journey of your life. Literally, it will change your life today and forever. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'll give you the words, but you give it the heart. You just repeat this after me. This prayer won't save you, but believing it in your heart will. Just say this. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you did for me. Thank you that you came to earth to get me out of slavery. You lived a sinless life, the perfect lamb of God, and you sacrificed your life. But then the lamb of God overcame this life so I could overcome. Come on, say it strong. I repent of my sins. I thank you for paying for my sins. I thank you that you overcame sin, death, and the grave. Now today, in Jesus' name, change me. I receive you. Make me new today. I say this so everyone hears me, but that you hear me. And I pledge allegiance to Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. I choose to belong to him and follow him all the days of my life. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the house. Yeah, yeah.